Excellent. So I just wanted to um, introduce David, who's going to be speaking to us after Emma has come and read from the Bible to us. Now, some of you won't know David because he um, and his family generally come to our afternoon, our 4.30 service. But David's been part of um, Oasis for, it oh, must be 18 or so years, 18, 20 years. He's one of the trustees. And he's also someone who I learn from often. He's a man with a prophetic gifting and with a gifting in terms of explaining the Bible to us. And so he's going to come and preach to us in just a moment from John's Gospel. But every week over this series, we've invited a reader to come and help us to really get into the Gospel because we're reading larger chunks than we might normally do. And so Emma is going to come and help us to engage with that. So let's listen to Emma. Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had yet not come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you didn't believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand 
that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what he, the Father, has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and said to the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Good morning. Thank you, Emma. That is a long passage, and uh, really appreciate you um, you reading it to us. Today, we're going to continue in the book of John, um, and we come to the passage and the point where Jesus declares that he is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, 
but we'll have the light of life. It was amazing in our worship when Gus shared that poem about being in the darkness. Then almost prophetically, light broke through this window and just looked around and just saw his light shining on a number of you. And that's my prayer today, that actually God would come and bring his light into our hearts and illuminate something new uh, from this passage to us today. So a few things as we begin to look at this passage which will help us understand the context of the chapter. And there's some really difficult things, actually, that Jesus says uh, to the Jews in this chapter. And we see that this chapter actually starts and ends with the threat of violence and the murderous intent of the religious leaders of the day. We know from last week where Adrian uh, taught us through chapter 7 that Jesus came secretly uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles where he's now speaking and he did that um, because of the threats that were being made against him. And the chapter starts with the Pharisees picking up stones to stone a woman who's caught in adultery. And then the chapter ends with them picking up stones to throw stones at Jesus. We also see within that that Jesus makes some incredibly harsh statements and controversial comments. He calls the Jews children of the devil. Um, This is not meek and mild Jesus that we sometimes expect. This is a man coming in full opposition to the darkness and the dark forces surrounding him and shining a completely unwelcome light as the light of the world into that dark place. If there's one verse in John which summarizes really the whole of chapter 8, it's from the first chapter of John, uh, where John says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in chapter 8, we see this growing swell of conflict and violence as the light of Jesus comes to pierce through the darkness of humans' existence and he comes to change things forever. Now just using some contemporary images, this is like a turning point in a narrative or in a story. Uh, and You'll recognize some of these images, some, from, some film, films that we may or may not be familiar with. Um, so this point in the story is like uh, the Battle for Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, which you may know, where at a point in the story where everything is lost, where it looks like all hope has gone, where the powers of the and the dark forces are overwhelming the people trying to fight against them. And then Gandalf appears at the top of Helm's Deep as this bright shining light and an army behind him who comes as as the savior and the rescuer in that moment. That's the same as Jesus appearing at this point as light of the world. Or if you're into Harry Potter... Um, we know at one point, and who knows which film it's in, can't remember, um, that Harry's lost in a dark forest. And again, dark forces are overwhelming him, about to consume him, to steal and take his soul. And across the lake appears a bright stag, which is a, a protective stag that comes and pushes back those dark forces and again saves him. Or maybe you're into cartoons and you like Beauty and the Beast and a bit of Disney. We remember at the end of the the Beauty and the Beast where there's this incredible scene where the beast is lifted up in the air and the point at which he's transformed from a beast into a man, light breaks out from inside him and transforms him. And again, Jesus is the light of the world coming. Or maybe you recognize the image from uh, the film The Darkest Hour, all about Churchill, where Churchill at one point's in Downing Street in the midst of 
desperation and despair because he struggled with depression, overwhelmed with the situation that was facing him. And then the door opens, light breaks in, and the king enters the room. And the king brings a message of hope, of companionship, and comes and turns the whole situation around. This is what we're seeing in chapter 8. This is what we're being caught up in. It's the continuation of the story of the light of the world, which will reach its climax as we come to the Easter story on the cross with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We see in this passage that light exposes the darkness of the human condition, and Jesus is not content to leave any uncertainty just how dark and how terrible our situation is. But the incredible news is that he's come to rescue us from the slavery of sin and lead us into freedom. Just another observation as we get into this passage that will help us understand the context. Just as we saw last week um, with Adrian talking uh, about the story of Moses striking the rock and water flowing and that being uh, a picture of Jesus. So Jesus also here is deeply identifying with the Jewish God of the Old Testament. He references being the I am. I mean, that incredible passage at the end where he's before Abraham, I am. And he talks about being lifted up just as uh, Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. So Jesus is claiming that he is the the full fulfillment of the salvation of Israel and the whole world. And in this passage, Jesus is revealing his identity This chapter reminds me a little bit, I don't know for those of you with teenagers, and I have one teenager at the front who I'm trying to not to embarrass, but it reminds me on these dark mornings when you're trying to awake the household, and what do you do to actually get people out of bed? You have to unkindly go and turn on lights, (laughs) and the reaction is often one of denial, of burying heads under the duvet, of wanting to remain in sleepy, sleepy darkness. And we see that resistance here, that actually when the lights come on, it's uncomfortable. Do you know, even this week, as I'm trying to get my head around preparing this, um, just had a a really difficult situation to deal with in work, where some people had done some things which actually uh, made some difficulty for me. But it was one of those where it totally got under my skin. Okay, and yes, there was some stuff that was done which was done wrong to me, But the horrible realization as I drove home on Friday night, I knew this was under my skin. And then as my family sat sat around and had a meal, my family knew that I was in a place where I just had a black cloud over me. And actually, the realization of the fact that, yes, some things have been done wrong to me, but actually there were attitudes and things coming out of my heart that were just completely wrong. And I thought, man, I need the light of the world to light and guide my existence. I need him to be my light And to steer me through. So, how are we going to respond to this light this morning as we read through this passage? Or we won't read it again, but as we go through and hear more uh, about what Jesus has to uh, say to us. The way we're going to do that is the passage places four groups in the spotlight that I want to consider today. The first is this woman caught in adultery and put before Jesus. Okay, The spotlight comes on her. The second is Jesus himself. The Jews draw the attention to Jesus and ask, who is he? Who is this man? The third, then Jesus actually totally turns the spotlight around onto the Jews, onto humanity, onto us, and says, who are we in the light of him being the light of the world? 
And then if we're going to read this passage this morning, then we, the fourth spotlight we should put on is onto ourselves and say, in the light of the truth of this scripture, where do I stand in his light this morning? So that's where we're going. Okay, so the first spotlight is a woman caught in adultery. This scene is barbaric and brutal. And sadly, it's one that actually could be still recognizable in some parts of the world today. A woman thrown down to be stoned because she'd been caught in the act of adultery. But from the outset of this story, uh, there's something wrong with it. And the, the passage says that. It's actually a trick that the Jews knew that they didn't have the authority to judge and execute this woman because they were under Roman rule. And in putting Jesus in the corner, they were testing his allegiance both to the Jewish law and also his willingness to go against the Romans and the law that he was under. Jesus was in an impossible situation, backed into a corner, and the woman's life was now hanging in the balance. Let's just imagine this scene for a minute. This woman is surrounded with Pharisees holding rocks, ready to stone her, her thinking, these are my last moments. And then we see Jesus, he actually bends down, starts writing in the sand. Early readers of this passage would be reminded of Solomon in the Old Testament, who was presented with life and death situations and displayed incredible wisdom that actually was evidence of God's spirit on him. And in the same way, Jesus displays incredible wisdom in the way that he deals with this this situation. You know, I absolutely love this passage. You know, the, the gift of the Gospels to us is that Jesus is the very embodiment of God. And what we see him, we see him interacting with people. We see him interacting with real people and real situations. And we can get to ask, what would Jesus do? How would he respond? And in this story, the way he responds is incredibly revealing. It's what he does. It shows that he has been sent on a rescue mission. He's about to rescue this vulnerable woman from death. And Jesus rises and he simply says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Then he bends down and he starts continuing doodling in the sand, as you do. And then all the Pharisees, one by one, says the eldest first, the wisest first, start to drop their rocks, turn around from the scene and walk away as they realize their hypocrisy and the fact that none of them are entitled to cast the first stone. Then Jesus asked the woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? Then he says to her, neither do I. And the amazing thing is that, as we know, there is one person in that crowd who is entitled to cast the first stone, that Jesus is and was without sin. He could throw the first stone And then everyone could have thrown stones at her afterwards. But the profound reality is that God does not throw rocks at us. God does not condemn us. Jesus offers us redemption and forgiveness. And just as with the woman, he says to us, go and leave your life of sin. You know, to a degree, we can all identify with this woman. We've all done things we're ashamed of and that we'd rather remain hidden. But Jesus wants these things to come into the light. And he's here to free us from the darkness of shame and guilt and offers offers us a new life and identity. If you're here this morning 
and you're struggling with hidden shame and you're stuck in the mire of doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, then you need to know that God does not condemn you. He does not throw rocks at you. And we would love to pray with you for you to know the freedom that Jesus speaks about in this passage. The second spotlight falls on Jesus. Now, as we've been hearing, just as with the whole book of John, the central question um, of the book of John is asked by the Pharisees in verse 25, where they say, who are you? And as we've seen, that this is what the book of John is absolutely all about. Twice in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the I am. And in verse 12, I am the light of the world. And at the end, that incredible ending Uh, In verse 58, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. In doing so, Jesus stakes a claim to his divinity, and as the God of the Old Testament revealed through Abraham, Moses, and the prophet. In particular, this phrase, this name of himself, takes us right back to a story in Exodus 3, uh, where Moses approaches a burning bush. I'm not going to read this story, but just to take us back there, this is a time when God's people are trapped in slavery in Egypt, and the appearance of God to Moses is a a defining moment in God unfolding his rescue plan and offering redemption for his people to lead them into freedom and provision. So we find Moses tending his flock on a mountain when he goes over and he sees a bush which is burning Now, the first striking thing about the burning bush is the miraculous nature of the bush that's burning but isn't burning up. And it drew Moses over to investigate. And this is exactly the same with Jesus, that encountering him, we are encountering a miraculous man. A man who, as the light of the world, is going to burn openly on a cross, another tree on a cross, and draw all people to him. And we see that actually this is just a foreshadow, again, just like the rock being struck and that image of Moses in the desert. This is another foreshadow of Jesus on another tree as the light of the world coming to rescue us from slavery and deliver us from sin. So how should we respond as we approach this Jesus? This Jesus of holy and purifying light. Moses hid his face and just at the realization of the utter holiness of this God that he was approaching and his complete insufficiency to stand before him. God says to Moses, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. Do you know an audience with Jesus is one that's deserving of fear and reverence. It's life-changing And that's what we see with many people in the Gospel of John who come to meet with Jesus and see him for who he really is. And that explains as well Jesus' anger that burns against the Pharisees who want to murder and blot out this light of the world rather than embrace and welcome him as their saviour. They just don't know him. The burning bush represents an encounter with God which offers humanity a turning point for redemption and rescue from slavery. The offer from God is really simple. If you listen to me, if you obey my commands, then I will lead you out of slavery into a land where you can prosper and flourish. And so Jesus offers himself as the saviour of humanity, 
the fulfillment of the promises made in Genesis and right the way through the Old Testament to undo the curse of sin which inflicts us and inflicts humanity. So who is Jesus? We've seen in the book of John that he's a man of miracles and power. We've seen his incredible wisdom and understand that his, his message and his actions have drawn lots of people to him and a lot of violent opposition as well. But in chapter 8, we see the curtain that is really sort of shrouding his identity pulled back temporarily to reveal this glory and eternal nature that puts him in a completely different category. An identity that he says predates the ancient prophets, that places his places Jesus in the creation temple garden of Eden, just as John says in his first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is absolutely incredible. He is, Jesus is the creator God, present at the very beginning. He is the promised seed of Abraham who will come to crush the head of the snake in the Garden of Eden. He is the I am of the burning bush, Yahweh. He is the great light that Isaiah talks about in chapter 9, who's dawned on a land of great darkness. He is Jesus. He's the light of the world and the one who's present here today by his Holy Spirit to come and minister his light to us. Amen? Yes. Amen. Amen. So if Jesus is light of the world, the next question is, who are we? And the spotlight comes onto us. Now, can you recall a time when you had the slow and painful realization that your understanding about something or someone was entirely wrong and you have the humiliating process of having to backtrack on your assumptions and your actions? This seems to happen to me a lot. (laughs) What is it about being a dad in a family that just means you just get things wrong a lot? Actually, your want is to absolutely display perfect confidence and leadership to your family. Do you know, once when the kids were really young, we visited a beautiful walled city in Italy. And uh, this is when uh, the kids were very small, okay? So it was a number of years ago. And actually, this is the time when Google didn't work, which is an important part of this story. <laughs> Google was useless at this time. We parked by the big gate, okay? We parked by the big gate. Thought, wise, parked by a landmark, okay? Parked by the big gate. Walked into this city, had a fantastic time, uh, saw loads of things, but by mid-afternoon, it's a beautiful place, mid-afternoon, it's a labyrinth-type city where you walk around. Uh, we were exhausted, completely exhausted. Everyone wanted to go home. Okay, let's go home. And we start backtracking to the big gate. Um, but my very wise seven-year-old at that point, and interesting, this is always the scenario, and my wife, Neris, starts saying, I just don't recognize this. And of course, me as the, with the homing pigeon-like navigation skills that I have, this is absolutely right. We're definitely going to the wrong way. Look, we're getting to the gate. Boys, boys were exhausted, had to actually start carrying them. You know, it's hot, we're sweating, everyone's exhausted. Get to the gate, but it's not the right gate. <laughs> Turns out this particular city has about 20 gates around it, right? And we, we were at a gate, but we were just at the wrong one. What did I do? Uh, well, I sat everyone down on the pavement, and there was just mutiny for the family. <laughs> like, at this point, you know, Dad, who's meant to be the leader of the family, 
and uh, to navigate us that obviously we cannot have any confidence in. Now, I won't go into the full story of how we managed to get unlost, because we were lost. Um, but basically had to backtrack, sit them all down. I had to run to a shop, buy a map, an actual paper map, loads of sugary bribery um, to try and get the kids going again. And then literally had to pour the map in front of them and convince them that I now knew where we were. But to get back to our car, we had to turn around. We had to go another way. In the same way, if Jesus is the light of the world, then the light he sheds on our own existence is like waking up to the fact that for a long time we've been walking the wrong way and we have to turn around. We've been walking towards destruction and we need saving. We need to turn around and walk a different way. The Pharisees that we see in chapter 8 just didn't want to wake up and accept that what they deemed to be this good life, this good life that they were leaving, this highly moral life, was actually, as Jesus says in his own words, darkness, slavery, sin, and death. We see in verse 31 that there's actually Jews who do actually decide to believe in Jesus. So it's not that they're totally resisting. They said, actually, we think what you're saying is great. However, even for those, their pride at their Jewish heritage was a stumbling block for them to be able to receive Jesus you know, they wanted to receive Jesus, but they wanted to carry on walking in the same direction. They didn't want to actually turn around. They wanted Jesus on their own terms. And we need to accept that we have nothing in and of ourselves, not our heritage, our family, our position in society that can save us. Do you know, that's why we see in the Gospels it was so much easier a lot of the time for the poor to receive Jesus and who he was because they had nothing. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. So in order to find him, we need to become poor in our own minds. And just like Moses, join Moses at the burning bush with our head in our hands in order to be able to receive him. Now, as we have read through, there is an awful lot in chapter 8. Um, and I just wanted to make it really simple for us just we, as we draw uh, to a close in terms of some of the key arguments which Jesus is making. Really simply, Jesus contrasts two ways to go and is really clear about the choice he offers us. Before we met Jesus, we were walking in darkness, as Jesus states in verse 12. And you know, that darkness is deceptive. We can't see the truth. It's based on lies intended to hold us captive, in verse 44. Captive to a sin which holds us like a slave. It binds us to decisions which cause us harm as we see in verse 34, and causes death and ultimate separation from God that Jesus talks about in verse 21. So we need to turn around. That's going to mean abandoning everything that we've known to walk a different way. Repentance literally means to turn around, to walk in a different direction. We're going to go on to see in chapter 12 of John that Jesus says, Very truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And this is the choice that Jesus offers us. The choice Jesus offers us is to step into the light, to follow him, as we see and read in verse 12. His light illuminates the truth 
Do you know, that truth suddenly becomes a foundation. Jesus says, those who listen to me and put my words into action are like those that build their house upon a rock. Suddenly, instead of just working in darkness and difficulty, you've actually got a baseline and a foundation on which to live and to grow and to change. And as we listen to his words, he will free us from sin. Verse 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and you'll be able to enjoy the real life, real life for the first time that Jesus offers us, both in this life and for eternity. That is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus offers us this morning. So who are we? We're those that Jesus has come to graciously save and set free to live this abundant life that he talks about. So let's apply and close now by applying this passage to ourselves. So let's be brave, okay? Let's let the spotlight come onto ourselves. And whether like me you've been a Christian a long time or perhaps you're just searching and exploring who Jesus is, John encourages us to search ourselves and consider the truth of Jesus' words and how they apply. I just want to talk really about two ways um, that I think we should look to apply to us this to us this morning. Firstly, just going back to the first part of the chapter, do we need to hear this morning, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, do you need to hear that God doesn't throw rocks at you? Do you know, shame is such a massive problem in our society and actually amongst Christians and people in churches. But Jesus, in this interaction with the woman, is clearly inviting us to bring hidden shame and guilt into the light and to receive his forgiveness and his healing. At the cross, Jesus deals with all sin, both the sins that we've committed and also the things that have been done to us as well. He invites us to leave that stuff behind and not let it define who we are anymore. And the way we do this is by bringing it into the light, into the light of Jesus through confession We can do that by talking to someone. Find someone who loves Jesus. If this is you this morning, find someone who loves Jesus, who you trust, and ask them to pray for you. And you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that grip of shame can be broken in your life. It's a companion that you do not need to walk with. The truth of this chapter is that the truth can set you free, and you can be free uh, and not a slave to sin. The final challenge I just want to bring to us and something that really struck me in Jesus' interactions with the Jews is the central accusation of this passage that he makes in verse 19 where he says, You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. I, I think there's incredible pain expressed in those words. The knowing that Jesus is talking about is not a head knowledge. Those Jews and Pharisees around him had plenty of head knowledge. What what Jesus is talking about is a missed relationship. The knowing which exists between two people who know each other and are close to each other. You do not know me. Is there someone that you're so close to that sometimes you're asked a question and because you think alike and you know each other so well, you actually come out with the same sentence at the same time. It's interesting living with twins in the house um, because there is a unique bond between twins. And even on Friday nights where we had Gus over for dinner and Gus asked them a question 
And they both answered with exactly the same answer. That is the knowing that Jesus is talking about. That closeness. Actually, our faith is a relational faith. That as we grow closer to Jesus, that we become more like him. That we reflect him. That our thinking is more caught up in his thinking. That his light lives within us. Do you know the Psalms tell us to be still and to know. To be still and to know that I am God. He wants that level of relationship and knowing with you. Do you know he goes on in verse 42 to say, If God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me because I've come from God. He's not saying, if God were your father, you'd think the things I'm saying are great. Or that you'd think I'm a great guy. Jesus is saying, if God were your father, you would love me. What that means is that he's saying that you'd be compelled into a loving and intimate relationship with Jesus, the life giver. Our faith is relational. Just go back and think about the burning bush scene. Again, if you read on from the burning bush, Moses has a conversation with God. And this is a father, a parent and child conversation where God says, I want you to do these things for me, Moses. And Moses says, I can't. I cannot do these things. To the point at which God then gets angry with him, like we do as sometimes as parents, but then actually relents and says, okay, all right, I'll allow Aaron to speak in your place. Do you know, we serve a relational God. It's incredible. So the question I want to end with in the passage, which I think Jesus is asking us through this passage, is, do you know me? Do you really know me? At what level would you consider the depth of relationship that you're enjoying with Jesus right now? Is there time and space in your life to be still and to be known by him and to know him? Do you know, this knowing can't be done through someone else or through a third party. It can't be the case that, well, don't worry, my mum knows him. Don't worry, my spouse knows him. Don't worry, Mike knows him. Do you know him? Do you know him? That is the amazing invitation that the light of the world offers us today, uh, and it is good news. Why don't we stand and I'll pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you for the, your deep, deep love for us. Your deep acceptance of us, Lord Jesus. The Lord, it was for the joy set before you that you suffered and endured the cross because of each individual here. And Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that the truth of this word would just be like light breaking on our lives this week. Lord, would you lead us to truth? Jesus, we're just so conscious that we need you, that in and of ourselves we're stumbling around in darkness. And Lord Jesus, you come as one who brings light, who brings a foundation in our lives, who causes us to see truth, who causes us to be able to have a life that is so full. Jesus, I pray for those who are struggling with sin right now. 
Lord, I pray that word of you just not throwing rocks at us, not condemning us, would go deeply. Lord, I pray for courage to face up to the things which are dark and to bring them into your light and into the light of this loving community. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the love that's here. And this is a place of light. It is a place of transparency and healing. And Jesus, we just pray that we could know you deeply. We hear your word, Lord, that you want to know us. You want to know us deeply. And Jesus, we want to know you. We want to know you revealed. Revealed in your word, Jesus. Revealed, Lord, as we come and worship you. Revealed, Lord Jesus, as we go about our day to day. But revealed, Lord Jesus, in our hearts as someone that we have genuine friendship and relationship. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that friendship with God is reserved for those that fear you. And Lord Jesus, we fear and we honor you in this place and ask, Lord Jesus, for your friendship and your friendship this week. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.